and then came um, my my relationship with Jesus, not my theology of Jesus. Jesus was countercultural. He absolutely turned the culture upside down. He killed rules to fulfill laws and to fulfill, fulfill biblical laws. So I got my radicalness from from serving a radical Jesus. Hello and welcome to the Together Podcast, a conversation about faith, justice and how to change the world. I'm Dan and today I'm joined by Kat and Chris. How are you doing guys? I'm alright. You're all good. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wow. lie guys, this sound check was really stressful. <laughs> That's really funny because this is actually the second take of the podcast and the first take we did, I asked if Kat was alright and she was like, Amazing! <laughs> so a lot has changed in the last three minutes. Yeah. We're trying to sort out audio. The um, stress of audio. Great. How are you, Chris? Yeah, I'm good. I'm uh, I'm contemplating. I'm getting like really existential, as we okay. all have during the lockdown. But um, extra so because I'm going to be 29 by the time Ooh. this episode is out, um, which is like almost 30. Which I mean, I know many of us don't know what that feels like. Um, <laughs> can't speak for everyone. <laughs> No comment. But um, yeah, no comment. But I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to. Uh, I mean, my day coincides with uh, the country reopening, with yeah. America independence. Uh, yeah, so nice. you know, pretty much got the whole world celebrating. Yeah, so have you have you have you planned to spend the whole day doing things you haven't been able to? Like um, seven a.m. get up and go to the hairdressers. Eight o'clock down the pub. <laughs> Nine o'clock <laughs> breakfast at a restaurant. <laughs> Ten o'clock cinema. Well, the thing is, like, I've, I've had this conversation with many people. I'm not going to, I'm not touching a barbershop for, like, the first couple of weeks because I feel like they're going to be absolutely rammed. Um, <laughs> and RE Cinema, I, I looked at some driving cinemas, thought that could be cool, kind of nostalgic. Nice. But then it's, like, it's expensive. It's, like, mm. 50 quid to go watch Grease. I can, <laughs> I can, I'm sure I can find it somewhere online. Yeah. <laughs> you, know I mean? you can do it at home. You can, you can watch it in your car if you want. It's so true. Maybe I'll just get my laptop, put it in the front of my car window. Yeah, Yeah, and charge other people 50 quid to pull up alongside you. Exactly. (laughs) That's a great idea. I might do that this weekend. Great. So today we'll be hearing from Anne-Marie Lewis. So as well as working for the Ministry of Justice, she also runs her own business and social enterprise empowering disadvantaged young people to find their own success in business. So we spoke to Anne-Marie about the power the generation has, or this generation has, to change the world and why a theology of justice is central to that. But before we get to the interview, it's time for the one and only Cat's Questions. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Now, Cat, on the last episode, you, you gave the caveat of this question isn't a serious question as though you will be returning to serious questions subsequently. <laughs> so we're already waiting for your serious question. Well, I think before we get to the question, I feel like I had to point out that after doing the poll of who um, is better at introducing their podcast, um, I think it was like 75% <laughs> said it was me. <laughs> 
When did you do this, Paul? I didn't even see it. <laughs> I made sure to remove you from the stories. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> He's not on the close friends list. <laughs> I'm totally joking. Um, I haven't done the poll because I wanted to save you the embarrassment. Um, I was going to say, it wouldn't, but... it wouldn't be a landslide like that. I'd take that. <laughs> I'd take a 50, 51% 49% victory. Okay. <laughs> well, I feel like because you've said that, we have to um, do one this week then. Um, but yeah, this week's question comes from our listener, who we know very well, Laura, also known as Less Race Laura, also known as Laura Young. Um, <laughs> um, so Laura asked, I feel like this is a really good question because it kind of links back to our very first cat's question about tea. So this is a tea-related question. So when you make your cup of tea and you have milk in it, do you put milk in first or last? Yeah, first or last? Definitely last, without a shadow of a doubt last. Definitely last, but I have had heated arguments with um, people who are wrong, but who say you put it in first. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people say, yeah, I agree with Diane, like they're completely wrong. I don't see how putting milk in first is better. Doesn't it just like stop the tea brewing properly? One hundred percent. It's like scientifically wrong. I'll, I'll tell you why. Turn into the dark I'll, ages. I'll tell you why it's scientifically and morally wrong. Because, <laughs> firstly, scientifically, you need to put the milk in last so that you can judge how much milk to put in to get the right colour that you want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then morally, it's got to be right because if you're able to judge the final colour of your tea by the amount of milk you put in first and you get that quantity perfect and the water to milk ratio perfect, you're just, you're just weird to be able to do that <laughs> to that level of accuracy. Um, I respect what you in, a, in like... a way, but... Well, if that's like someone's skill for the world is like, here's what I can do. I can I can pour milk first and still give you the perfect tea. And now you've just crushed them. If, <laughs> if that's someone's skill, then, you know, it's it's biblical that, that God will use that for immeasurably more and multiply the skill. Or, or, you could argue, no. or, or you could argue that God will multiply it despite it actually being a weakness. <laughs> and in our weaknesses, God's strength is made, his power is made perfect. Um, that's a I lot. mean, either way, that's it's a, a win, isn't it? It's, it's gone very deep from a tea question. Um, but yeah, I feel like it. That I just always have the sense of that the milk will somehow go off if you put boiling water in it. Not that it makes a yeah. difference putting... Not that it makes a difference putting it afterwards because you're still putting it into hot water. But I feel like the concept of the water going into the milk, it'll make it all go funny. So I agree. Doesn't it like split it straight away or something? I don't know. Well, that's what I think it will happen. But yeah. I have heard that if you have soy milk in your milk, in your milk, <laughs> soy, <laughs> soy milk in your tea, and you actually put the milk in first, it stops from going all bitty. You know when it like separates? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the thing is, I never had that problem with my tea. It never separated for me until today. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I need to try the reverse. But I don't. Guys, feel I'm, okay I'm, with I'm, it. I'm falling asleep listening to this. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> He's listening in the car or on their on their walk or at home. Man, 
<laughs> There's so much you can talk about, too, you know? There so is. much what was, to discuss. What was the first... Because, because T kicked off Cat's questions, didn't it? What was that? Did we ever get a final answer on the first ever Cat's questions? The scoop, the taking out the tea bag. Yeah, like do you oh, use a spoon it. or do you use your fingers or your hand? Um, <laughs> and I feel like it has made a lot of people think how they actually make their tea because you don't really think about it while you're doing it. And then all of a sudden you'll have your whole hand inside a teacup. <laughs> I, I was going to say, if there's anyone out there who both puts milk in first and uses their hand <laughs> to scoop out a tea bag from a, a cup of boiling hot water, uh, we would love to hear from you because we have some questions and we just want to check you're all right. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, I think that was a unanimous though, milk in last, right? Between yeah, us, definitely. Anyway. Definitely. Um, okay. I mean, I feel like we need to ask Laura because I feel like she must be the opposite if she asked the question. And and I think we should put it out on on Instagram as well, just to to work out what kind of percentage we're dealing with there. Um, yeah, Because yeah. <laughs> at the moment it's one hundred percent, and that's science. Hundred percent. I'm really struggling with these cats questions because I feel like we're too like minded. When I <laughs> bring something out, it's like obviously this is the right way. Yeah, that's we not need the one point, of those guys. Remember those photos that went round a couple of years ago where the coat or the dress yeah. was either red or blue or something strange like that yeah, the ones that, yeah. that were definitely splitting 50 50 down the middle mm. we need yeah, I mean, we need it was the... worse than brexit after that i remember the whole country was torn <laughs> i went outside and someone punched me and they're like it's blue and black it's like, oh, gosh. i'm sorry <laughs> crazy great well thanks cat for another tea-based cat's questions um and so now uh, if you're listening at home and you want to submit your own Head to uh, We Are Tear Fund on Instagram and leave us a message. But now it's time to hear from Anne-Marie. My name is Anne-Marie Lewis. I currently work for the Ministry of Justice. I say that loosely because I have my own business and I have a social enterprise. So I um, work in the space of leadership and culture change for youth custody service, but equally working with some of the senior leaders at Transforming Culture across HMPPS. I have a social enterprise called Rainmakers Worldwide, so that predominantly works with young people, young adults and women from diverse challenging backgrounds, using entrepreneurship as a way out of their situations. And I have a business and social justice consultancy that really looks to tackle sort of social justice issues and using business as a way to address some of our Mm. social challenges. Cool, very busy. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So within all of that, I guess, how, how did you end up doing doing these things what how does your faith and how does like your ideas around justice how did they lead you to this point so um growing up my whole life um I had a real passion for injustice like um so I didn't know at that time when I was growing up as a kid that um that there was an actual faith-based element to justice. But I just I just hated injustice. Mm. And it didn't matter what sort of injustice um, it was. And I remember my grandmother, my friends had kind of done this book for me um, as like a birthday present. My grandmother had contributed to it. And she had said when I was six years old, her earliest memory of me was bringing home a group of gypsy traveller children at the time mm. who were 
had a camp opposite our school and I was six years old and they were being teased at school because they didn't have certain facilities to wash their clothes and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I literally took them home to my mum and, and, and commanded that she bathe, <laughs> cook, wash clothes <laughs> and do all that. And, and it's that, I think that's the catalyst. Like yeah. I was very much see a problem if it's an unjust find a way to fix it from mm. a very very young age and I, and I was like that all my life yeah um I got saved at 30 I'm 43 now <laughs> but I got saved at 30 um and I then started to be able to put a language and a theology around mm. why I was always fighting justice issues um and found discovered the god of justice and yeah. mercy and righteousness and and grace and those four things are synonymous with each other mm. so in fighting before i would be very quite militant in mm. how i would fight injustice and god and my faith has shaped that differently because mm. he is a god of i don't like victim perpetrator type language but if we were putting it in terms like that he is a god of both and you have to have justice for both yeah so it's a it's been an interesting journey yeah. that's got me there what was the switch then because I can say for myself and I've seen in other people's lives where actually you just go do Sunday church and you know sing a few, few songs clap along mm-hmm. listen to the preacher and then go home so what was it that actually made you go that made you find out that there was this whole rich kind of heritage of justice within our faith so it's really interesting um it's certainly uh it was an encounter in church but a very odd one that I didn't have a language for mm. and nobody could explain to me. Mm. So now I understand that there are things like visions mm-hmm. and things like that. So I was just sitting in a service um, and I was worshipping in a way that I hadn't worshipped before and I was twirling and doing all sorts of things. I didn't even know these things were, were, were biblical. And I was like, what are you doing? Anyway, <laughs> eventually I had this vision and I saw... Um, hundreds of thousands of, of, of young people. I just I just saw them and mm. I and I saw me ministering and speaking and, and really speaking God's word and love and, and peace and all sorts of things over them. Mm. Um and even though I had worked with young people for a long time up until that point, that I think probably was my biggest switch. And when I got home I remember thinking, um what does this mean? And I remember hearing very clearly in like internally, um look at Isaiah 6. So mm. I looked at Isaiah 6 and it basically was the scripture saying, who will go for us? Mm. And that was the switch. And I remember saying, I will go for you. And wow. I've never looked back. That wow. is my foundation scripture. That's amazing. And it's amazing hearing how it was worship mm. that did it. You know, it wasn't yeah. like, because I mean, anyone can get it anyway, but to, mm. it's so interesting to hear that it was like an encounter with God. Yeah. Do you think that we as a generation are doing enough to put ourselves in positions to encounter God and find purpose through that? Wow, it's such an interesting question. Um, And I'll be very careful in how I answer (laughs) that. So I think that there are barriers, not because this generation don't want to put themselves in positions. I think our generation has done them an absolute injustice. Mm. And I think that we have a lot of accountability and I think that God will hold us to account and Mm. he is holding us to account. And so he's called some of us from my generation to rectify the failings of those who have put barriers Mm. to young people being able to express themselves the way they should. So I say that loosely to say (laughs) that um, I think that young people are now starting to break out and liberate more Mm -hmm. because there is... 
um, there is a freedom and there is um, a connection in God in, our, in the way that we worship. Um, I think some of our traditional uh, institutions have have put a block on the freedom to worship and express ourselves, mm. um, or we lock young people and children down to youth services. Mm. But I'm I think we need to go further by by enabling and really safe creative spaces for young people to encounter God and to be in positions of worship because that is where you're going to have the true glory and mm. in that revelation that's where you're going to understand both spirit and truth. I think mm. we've sometimes gone either one way or the other so you have either too too much spiritual encounters and then there's no truth and biblical behind it. So you can yeah. end up in all sorts of places or we've gone word, 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 no spiritual encounter behind it. Mm. So then there's no power. There's no relationship with the Holy spirit to actually do the things that we want to do. Mm. And God is calling his people and your generation particularly to do the two. He's reconciling mm. that, that divide between spirit and truth mm. because you need the truth and you need the spirit. You need the power to do the changes that he's calling your generation to do. Yeah. And it's, let's speak about those, mm. those changes that this generation is kind of called to. What do you see? What do you like? What do you feel when you see young people stepping into these roles and like their purpose? And like you said, you work with young people directly. How, how do you coach them into that? What's that like? The first part of coaching them into anything is letting them know who they are. Mm. They have to understand their identity and they have to understand their identity in, for me, within Christ, um, even if they are not Christians. So I have young people of all faiths, all backgrounds, no faiths, everything, but we still frame it within the biblical references of Mm. we are created in God's image. So first things first, they need to know who they are. Once they once we've coached them around that and what that looks like and taking off some of the labels and all the layers and giving them and helping them with a few strategic uh, ways of discovering their purpose, their you know their identity, their strategy, and all of those things, um, and give and giving them a permission to fail. You, to me, it's not that you've made it's your first attempt in learning. That's how we describe fail yeah. in our in our world. Like you learn fail, but my thing is fail quick, fail quick, fail early. <laughs> yeah. Get that one out of the way, and let's go on to the next thing. And give young people the space to explore, mm. try different things, go new places, um, have a freedom in that. Mm. And then I think it is entirely our generation's responsibility to equip, to train, and to resource young people in and and giving them targets, giving them responsibilities. And I think, again, we've done our this generation a bit of a disservice in that we've taught them um, what I kind of think of a happy, clappy, nonsense gospel mm. about, you know, not, not that I'm against the prosperity type of gospel, but it's the way we've taught it. Mm. So everything is get it now, claim it, claim it. It's like you want the promise and you want the purpose, but you don't want the process because yeah. we have not taught our young people how to go through the process mm. and to endure and to understand what that looks like to get to your promise and to get to your purpose. So um, there's a lot of things around having, I always kind of think of it like the elders, for want of a better word, you know, kind of have a lot of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And the youngers have the power mm. and you need to connect those two. There is a reason God had it in order to have elders and youngers. Yeah. And I think we need to do better um, at building those relationships. Yeah, that's incredible. And I guess, you know, you spoke a bit about that process. What are some of the challenges within the process of stepping into this, stepping into your, not even into this work, but stepping into your, into your calling and into what you want to do? 
So one of the first things is not teaching, uh, particularly the younger generation, to have a relationship with God for themselves. Mm. Um, we put parameters around it. We put barriers around it. We put our theology around it. We put our elder biblical thing around it. But the Bible is very clear. Jesus liberated all of that. Mm-hmm. And you can absolutely have a relationship with God for yourself. Um, the second thing is knowing the difference between relationship and religion. We need to break away from the religious mindset mm. um, and understand what a relationship with God really looks like. What does it mean to hear God? What does it mean to understand him in his creative ways? What does it mean to understand him who dreams and visions, the arts, music, mm. media, government, all of those things. We need to teach young people about those things. I, mm. I think that's really um, important. Some of the other challenges, um, also, so some traditionally you have people that think, um, I think where I'm coming from, they had a poverty mindset, mm. like Christians were called to poor and, and, and being poor and all of this kind mm. of stuff, which is so far from the truth. So I think we've got a lot of myths mm. and we need to break down those myths and we need to show biblical, solid teaching and truth, um, about what is a biblical entrepreneur? So I teach biblical entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and I take people through the um, the dominion man- mandate, which is literally, if you know, in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Uh-huh. So it talks about like you being fruitful, multiplication, replenish, which is filling the earth, um, subduing and having dominion. And it's literally showing them and I show them side by side entrepreneurship in that. So your being fruitful is your, your seed. It's your product. It's your design. It's whatever that thing is. Mm-hmm. It's your service, whatever it is that you're going to do. The next thing now is multiplication. So you now need to make that on mass or make it available multiple times to mm. your consumer, to your client right so then you go to replenishing the earth that is now you flood the market you absolutely kill your competition Mm. and you get everything out there in whatever your space is Mm. um you subdue which is obviously um well no sorry the the replenishing is your distribution you've got that in warehouses your subdue is killing your competition you slay you put it all out there and then you have dominion that's how you get to dominion in your field Mm. so we take biblical principles and make it practical and show Mm. people side by side what this looks like in their field. Um, And we do that with multiple biblical truths, strategies, um, ways to do things and pull out all of those gems from the Bible. Yeah. That's awesome. I feel like I've got a little preview, preview <laughs> class there. <laughs> I might sign up, get the finished whole package. Um, I guess uh, you, you spoke a bit about for yourself, like pre having that sort of theology of justice, mm. kind of having this like militantness and this kind of hardness mm. about you. Uh, is that, does that come with just kind of being young and kind of having this passion? Or is, it, do, is the theology what is lacking in that space? So that came from uh, growing up in New Cross, <laughs> to be quite frank. South. Uh, yeah, to be growing up in South East London and being the only girl uh, amongst four brothers. Mm. Yeah, so that, that, and also, again, definitely the passion and definitely just hate having, it's almost that the scripture that talks about loving what God loves and hating what God hates. I hate with a passion in just I, I, I hate it. Mm. I can't explain it any other way. So I have no tolerance for it mm. um, in pretty much any of the spheres. So my predominantly I work within youth and social justice or criminal justice, but actually injustice of animal cruelty, environment, anything, it just drives mm. me nuts. So you have to have a bit of a militancy about you 
if you're going to be a reformer or a revolutionist, if you're going to mm. change systems, if you were going to um, shut down and challenge the status quo. And then came um, my my relationship with Jesus, not my theology of Jesus. Jesus was countercultural. He absolutely turned the culture upside down. Mm. He killed rules to fulfill laws mm. and to fulfill, fulfill biblical laws. So I got my radicalness from, from serving a radical Jesus. Mm. And we teach sometimes Jesus in a very lovely, fluffy, passive way. Mm. We don't teach Jesus as the revolutionist and reformer that he was mm. um, and and that he, he didn't play. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we have to give a balance to that. And I think we need to show people, not just biblical characters, there are many biblical characters who made massive changes right through the Bible, whether it was up in your face military or whether it was like Mordecai behind mm. the scenes being strategic. Um, there's lots of different ways people played their part. But I think we have to show people both the practical in the Bible and the practical in the world of real reform and what that means. Mm. And I said it in my um, talk earlier, there comes a time sometimes where we teach people to conform to rules rather than to fulfil biblical laws, mm. godly laws. And sometimes you have to disobey but disobey honorably yeah okay wow that's a wait can you say that one more time just say that one more time for me <laughs> <laughs> that sometimes uh, the whole rule thing or just yeah, the last bit just okay. the last bit that's last so bit. sometimes you have to disobey but disobey honorably interesting i guess that kind of brings up to me like ideas around protest and around like you said breaking the status quo yeah. uh how do we do that well how do we do that honorably <laughs> So it's understanding your your biblical and, and God character first. So we represent Jesus Christ. We represent him on this earth. Um, so firstly, it's done in love. Firstly, it's done with respect. Mm. Firstly, it's done um, in a way that is not going to dishonor you or dishonor the God that you serve. Mm. But equally, there, there are times when that might mean doing things very radically, um, protesting in ways that, you know, you, you want to get your point heard. So, mm. so you have to find that balance between does this way of protest or does this way of expressing myself compromise my Christian value? Does it compromise my integrity? Does it compromise my character? Mm. If it's going to bring dishonor to myself, to my family, to God, then I would have to rethink my values and, and how I'm going to do that. Mm. But equally, if you are passionate and you know that by changing something, it's going to take a more radical move, then equally you have to give yourself permission to do that. Yeah, fantastic. And I guess, you know, a lot of the work that you do is, like you said, within business spaces and within social justice. And I guess one of the big things that's been happening over the last few years is this move towards more diversity and at some points that can kind of sound like just a buzzword at this point but it's an important thing and can you speak to the importance of diversity within justice gosh diversity and justice is just such a huge thing so we um have systems that have been built on unjust principles mm. um it is in my mind imperative that you have diversity not just visible diversity, but by diversity in thought, diversity mm. in leadership, diversity in thinking. Um, not all Christians think the same way, mm -hmm. um, and neither should we. And if we look at the example of Jesus, his apostles came from an absolute array of backgrounds. But one thing he did have with diversity was that he had people who were skilled. Mm. That doesn't mean that they had to be the, the top of this or the top of their profession, but they were skilled. Mm. He did not just have a range of 
reckless people mm. around him and I think it's that understanding that within the diversity you want a diversity of skills mindsets that can come from a range of backgrounds mm. um, that's nothing to do with whether you're you know it's not based on gender it's not based on race age you know working class up across all of those things it's mm. not it's, it's based on character skill have you given yourself over to study in your field in your area mm. so Jesus had an array of people around him he had the bible is always talking about having wise counsel mm. um and you know god himself consulted yeah. <laughs> so and and he consulted yeah. with man he consulted with you know the holy spirit he's consulted with things so i think there is something that's really clear about having a diverse range of people but the right people mm. that is the key to everything yeah it's getting the right people around Awesome. And I guess, you know, for people who are listening, they want to be the right people. <laughs> how how do we, if if we're struggling to actually know our own skills or to understand mm. w- in what ways has God's gifted me, how can I bring that into this space? Mm. What's your advice to those people? So my advice is, first things first, what comes naturally to you? What every single person on this planet um, will have something that they just find easier to do it might not be easy but it's mm-hmm. easier than other things that's usually a starting point mm-hmm. to start to say because this thing just i don't even have to think about it um that kind of tells you that you're probably quite skilled or gifted in that area mm-hmm. the other thing is if you are really struggling to work out what it is it's get with somebody like write things down that you think you're good at or get with your friends and family trusted people and say what do you think I'm good at Mm. get them to start doing a bit of a skills assessment with you or you get a coach or a mentor or somebody who is experienced in pulling out and and unearthing diamonds in the rough Mm. and get around those sorts of people there are so many organizations out there that you can do that with who will help and even you know people in your church who will help to say, let's start to sit down and look at and plot out what things you're good at, what things you're passionate about, what things you enjoy. Um, And even if you're not good at something, but you're passionate about it and you want to do it, then how do we get you skilled up in that area? It's really interesting you say that because we had another conversation with Lucy, Mm -hmm. uh, who works with Michael Bonet, and she was saying four years ago she she couldn't sing. She didn't even say, I didn't. She said, I couldn't. Wow. And I was like, but now you're killing it. I don't understand. But it's really interesting, like you said, you know, upskilling people being as important as releasing people with skills to go off. Definitely. And the thing around upskilling, I will give you, um, and I will share his story largely because uh, he he speaks of it himself. But a prime example is Isaiah, Isaiah... Raymond Dyer, he's absolutely phenomenal, mm-hmm. MOBO winning, all of this stuff, big in the praise and worship space. Um, and he has a prison ministry. And um, he had been in prison himself for a number of years and basically had an encounter with Jesus directly, got saved in prison just on a one-to-one mm-hmm. and literally said to the Lord, what what can I do sort of thing? What, what skill do I have? Um, and basically he was like, if you give me, he couldn't sing at all. If you give me the skill or, you know, to sing, I will spend the rest of my life spreading the gospel and doing ministry mm. and singing and immediately immediately and that's what he spent the rest of his life and that's what he does now um and it's taken him all over the world so i say that to say there are things that man can do there are things that have natural gifts that people gives in us but there are things that god can do above all of that mm. so if there's a particular skill or a particular passion or if somebody's really struggling just ask the lord Great, so there were lots of golden nuggets of wisdom during that interview. Guys, what stood out to you? 
I thought it was a really good conversation. I really, I've got a lot of time for Anne-Marie. She's got a big heart and I can tell that she really genuinely cares about like putting that into young people and seeing us kind of like make, make changes in the world and fight injustice. And I think a big part that stood out to me when she was talking about how countercultural Jesus is and actually the fact that he killed rules to fulfill laws. I feel that's such a cool way to put it. Um, and that call to kind of be revolutionists and reformers and not to just allow the status quo to continue as it is, I thought was a really good challenge. Yeah, it's cool. I think the thing that stood out to me is that uh, quite simple concept of failure is a first attempt in learning. Um, and as adults, or coming out of um, being young people, when you hit that kind of 20, 21 um, age, it can sometimes be difficult to stay in the learning mindset where you're not great at something when you first start out. Um, and so, you know, I, I even find it recently with lockdown projects and uh, you think, oh, I've got all this time in lockdown, I'm going to start and learn and do this thing. And then when you're not very good at it after two attempts, you completely write yourself off and, and, and stop. But we were all beginners at everything that we do at some point yeah. um, and the people that we see who are in our eyes successful they started at the same point as us um, and and just kept going so you know fail, failure is something that we can really learn for from um, and actually teaches us much more than success in a lot of ways so um, I found that really interesting yeah I definitely agree with Dan and I think to um, kind of link into that as well I love when um, what she said about actually seeking wisdom from elders and people that kind of came before us um, and just the, how she was saying you know that elders have wisdom that young younger people have power and the energy to push through so actually we should um, find ways to, in creating those communities where we can learn from one another so we can learn from older people and older generations that have the wisdom um, but also use our energy and power in actually pushing through um, things of you know when we're talking about injustice um there's also there's you know there's been loads of people that have been working towards ending extreme poverty but i've kind of had to in time step back and now it's our turn to kind of take in their learnings and actually push them further and move forward into this justice journey great a really good point to end on there so thank you everyone for listening we'll be back again on the 20th of july with another episode and if you like what you heard today make sure you hit subscribe and follow us on instagram at we are tear fund <laughs>